American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. The year before the financial crisis of 2008, Alan Greenspan, the head of the Federal Reserve of America, the central bank of the United States, writes a memoir called The Age of Turbulence, which is about his experiences at being the, the center of economic policy for the previous 40 years. And in this era after the 1970s, he calls it this, this age of turbulence, this era of reorientation to market values, of instability and volatility. But he thinks it's good. He sees this instability as an opportunity. And so going back to the 1970s and 80s, we can understand the sort of origins of today, understanding how there was a resurgence of market-oriented values, as well as a rollback of many forms of regulation that had defined the post-war stability. So Ed, where does this come from? Well, the idea that instability is good and that markets themselves can replace uh, many of the functions that, that governments had been carrying on, particularly in the United States since, since the time of the New Deal, is actually a case in which an idea, a philosophy, an economic um, kind of ideal is implemented first outside the United States, it's tested there, and then it's brought back to the United States. And we can see this really first taking shape in Chile, in South America, in the wake of a 1973 right-wing coup uh, that opens an opportunity for dozens of uh, economists, uh, many of them from the uh, University of Chicago, they become known in, in um, uh, Chile as the Chicago Boys, to come down and start to direct the shift of the economy and the government's role in the economy in Chile along the idealized lines that they themselves had been developing as theory for the last 30 or 40 years. So what they do in Chile is they take all sorts of activities that government had once uh, run, so things like uh, pensions, old age pensions for citizens, medical insurance, education, and they turn them over to the market. The idea is that uh, private uh, individuals will and corporations will run these things more efficiently than the government does. And that comes in turn from the theories of a series of economists, probably the most prominent of which is the Austrian economist Frederick Hayek, who argued that the market itself was a kind of giant computer in which information was always being processed by thousands and even millions or billions of actors in the economy. And that information about supply and demand is pushed back and forth through the signaling devices of prices. And so this, this is at odds with the sort of feelings of post-war corporate leaders, right, who saw right. the market as something to be avoided, right, as something that was a source of instability and danger coming out of their experiences of the 1930s. But now yeah. we see that experience uh, or theorized away. Yeah, they and government planners alike wanted predictability. They wanted to know, the corporate actors wanted to know what the markets were going to be like, how many widgets they were going to be able to sell in the next quarter. And government actors, on the other hand, wanted to be able to predict and ensure full employment because, of course, that helps you to win elections, among other things. But the idea, once it takes root in Chile, and it's already taken root in economics departments around the United States, starts to spread, and it becomes part of accepted political doctrine. It becomes part, for instance, of the doctrine of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, 
which starts to push other countries around the world, countries which owe money to the IMF mm. and the World Bank, to change their economies along the lines of what Chile had gone through already. And of course, the IMF comes out of the Bretton Woods system of the post-war. It was an agency that had existed to create stability, sort of replicating that American macroeconomy globally. But now it's replicating a very different kind of imagination of the American economy, one that actually doesn't exist yet, but they're imagining and trying to create in the form of these new austerity measures. Yeah, and this gets uh, played out on an even bigger scale in the 1990s after the most planned economy of all, uh, the Soviet Union, collapses or the political system collapses. And all kinds of actors, economists, investors, um, policymakers rush into what is now the independent nation of Russia and start to remake the economy along the lines of their imagined, idealized, completely free enterprise system. Now, oh, but yeah, so yeah. I, I think it's important here to talk about what we mean by imaginary, right? That you know, theoretical. And it's at this point in the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s that a new version of economic thinking comes along. That instead of having the macro economy as its core, the way Keynesian did, Keynesianism does, in terms of this is where we start, it has instead perfect markets, microeconomics, the firm, firm competition at its core. And in this vision of the economy, markets, supply and demand always come to equilibrium. And so the stability that is sought out in post-war economics is now found through the market. And in their vision, if there were no interference, there was no interference with the market, they would always come to the most efficient outcome. This is a highly stylized idea about how markets work, but it's at the core of all these philosophies. So how does this play out in the United States domestically? When does this start to really take root and, and move from offshore to onshore? Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about in the next few sections. But it's important to realize that it's, it happens to a variety of different industries, this so-called push for deregulation in uh, the airline industry, in energy, especially in finance. And in some places, there's very clear uh, outcomes that are probably good for most of us, that airlines, which is not something we do, most of us don't do every day, now you can get really cheap tickets because they're no longer regulated. And yet for other kinds of industries, and there's industries like energy or finance, things that are at the core um, of the entire economy, it matters a great deal because the instability allowed through this deregulation uh, which of course was always re-regulation for some groups of institutions who took advantage of these changes in the law, are really uh, something that ripple through the economy in a way that deregulated prices on airline tickets or even deregulated prices on socks don't really have. Yeah, a lot of critics would come to charge that both overseas and in the United States, what was really happening was that the shift from a managed economy or a managed sector of the economy to a supposedly deregulated status for that same sector was really just an opportunity for those with political connections to take a huge slice off the top of the market, uh, to grab a, a, a piece of the action, a huge piece of the action for themselves. And certainly you could look at what happens in post-Soviet Russia as a great example of that. Those who have the most political power, the most military power in some cases, are able to grab control over the massive resources of petroleum uh, that, that that country has. But there are charges that the same thing happens in the United States as well. We'll be thinking about this uh, in terms of thinking about especially the energy area and the energy sector and in terms of the financial sector because these two areas come to define the sort of everyday meaning of deregulation for Americans.
And so the capturing of those rents for people in the financial sector and the energy sector comes to define the new instability as an opportunity, but the opportunity for very few. And so we can see the deep connections between these market-based reforms and the rise of a new inequality. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm-hmm.